Welcome to Iron and Ceramite, Librarius Omnis, where we explore the depths of the Black Library. Hello everyone, and welcome back to Iron and Ceramite present Librarius Omnis. Um, this is part two of our Full Grim series. If you haven't seen part one, make sure you go back and watch the, the last video, um, The Perfect Warrior. Uh, this week, as well, I'm obviously, I, I am John, and as always, I'm joined by Shane. Hi there. Uh, and this week, we are going to be concentrating on part two of Fulgrim, uh, The Phoenix and the Gorgon. Um, but before we get into that, Shane, let's recap, yep. part, let's recap part one. Yes, and, and we'll try and keep it uh, as short as we can. Because, uh, yeah. as I said, we've got a whole whole other video uh, dedicated to it. But um, yeah, so in the, in the first part, we we kind of we're introduced to the the Emperor's children. We're introduced to to Fulgrim, 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 and introduced to their you know their 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 seeking perfection. Um, you know the fact that they're they're a they're a you know young or a, a battle young should I say a battle young chapter. Um, perfection in war but perfection in everything is is what they seek um and they uh, just sort of finished an engagement um with a uh, alien species called the lair on the planet Laren. and you know it, it, it's been a bit of a weird uh place to fight it's like an ocean world uh giant sort of towers of coral and atolls and stuff like this and and towards the end you know after a lot of brutal thick and fast fighting um fulgrim fights his way through to the uh, to what we believe to be a lair temple and and to find a uh, the lair and sword um and then in the meantime while that's all happening as well we get introduced to a, a another cast of remembrances uh mm. sculptors artists uh singers composers uh very very artistic remembrances um who kind of um you know, they have their own concurrent events as uh, the story and narrative moves on. Yeah, and they're very different to um, the remembrances from before, where the others were all more uh, like reporters more than anything. These guys are just artists, aren't they? Along yeah. for a completely different purpose. Uh, yeah. And then we got to introduce to, so I suppose, our main characters who run the Fred's of uh, what's coming on uh, in first captain Julius. Um, Julius second captain. Yes, that's right. Um, second captain Solomon Dementor. And then the third captain Marius. I can't remember his last name. That's, no, I, that's a test. <laughs> uh, I'm sure we'll get to it. But yeah, so we've got the three captains who are. Um, Verosian? Is it Verosian? Ver possibly. Anyway, the three captains. Yeah, we can edit that to make it look like we know what we're talking about. Um, yeah, so there, there are our three main characters um, alongside Fulgrim and the Remembrances. Uh, and at the end of the final battle, um, Solomon got blown out of the sky, didn't make it to the final battle, didn't make it to the Lair Temple. <clears throat> Marius did make it to the battlefield, but his mm -hmm. uh, company got completely bogged down in warriors. And they didn't make it to the temple um, in time, but uh, Julius and his Terminators managed to plough on through 
and catch up with Fulgrim and the Phoenix Guard as they entered the temple. And Fulgrim picked up the lair um, sword that was uh, speaking to him. And that's where we ended it as they wiped out the last of the lair. So that brings us swiftly on to part two, the Phoenix and the Gorgon. And um, we leave the Emperor's children and we go across the galaxy and we jump on board the Ferrum with Captain Bauhan of the Iron Fists. Um, and uh, we see that the complete stark differences between the um, Iron Hands and Empress Children, where the Empress Children are very, um, very uh, flaunty with decoration and um, want everything to look good. The uh, Iron Hands are very plain and stark. They have decoration, but it isn't like showy. It's just honours and the necessities that show off how good they are yep. uh, without being flashy. Um, and uh, Captain Balan's in charge of the Ferrum and he fits in very well as he's lost both his arms in battles in two separate battles and he's got two big metal arms now. Um, so Iron Hands was almost his fate, I guess. Um, and they are hunting a Xenos race called the Disparax, um, which they discovered by accident uh, when they picked up their transmission. Mm-hmm. Um, and the strange thing about the Disparax is that they they managed to engage um, a, a scouting party, I guess. And when they were inspecting the wreckage, they discovered that there was some Xenos on board, but they're also humans, yep. um, which have been completely out of contact with Terra since the golden age of exploration. Um, and they're obviously ancestors of a long, long time ago. Um, and again, another stark contrast, these are willingly living on board and we're working alongside the Xenos race. Um, so just by default, <laughs> um, Ferris Manus has decided that they need to find them and destroy them because that's not um, how we run things. Yeah, that's it. They, uh, they, they, did, um, they were offered the opportunity to separate from the aliens and join yeah. the, forged, the newly forged Imperium, uh, but they declined the offer. Um, and obviously... If that happens, that uh, you're you're as good as a Xenos, so you're all going to go down and get annihilated. And uh, Ferris Manus, um, obviously, as a noble Astartes warrior and Primarch, um, decided that they, if they're not going to follow the Imperial truth, um, they will get the uh, the Emperor's justice. And this is another case of people minding their own business, just doing what they've been doing. I mean, we don't know how long they've been floating around together hundreds of years probably yeah and just by chance they bumped into uh some uh astartes of earth and now uh and now they're the enemy for no, for no reason really i That's don't it. think they're described as being particularly hostile are they no um, by by in it by all means i think you know it, it's kind of positioned as uh if you'd left them alone they probably would have you know it would have been live and let live right yeah that is just be like passing by in the night no one would have had to know yeah um but it's so strange but still ferris menace and the iron hands um and i suppose at the minute all the starties they're the good guys in this and we're cheering them on so let's <laughs> kill some disparax um so we join Bellhan as he's managed to track down some uh 
enemy ships. Um, he's got two large uh, ships uh, they're, they're following. Um, and as they're getting ready to engage, the Disparex release loads of containers out the back that they believe are um, just them dispilling some dead weight so they can escape. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, Bauhan dispatches his fighters on board to attack. Um, and as they go in for the attack, the uh, Disparex actually launch some torpedoes, which takes out the um, second ship um, that's with the um, with Bauhan's ship, the Iron uh, Iron Heart, which is completely like heavily damaged, taken out of this battle for now. Um, the Ferrum takes on some damage, um, and even though his fighters are out there, and they realise actually this was a trap, this wasn't. Um, them trying to escape. This was them luring them in because as they go past um, the containers from behind, they burst out and the Disparex fighters come out as well. Um, so Bauhan decides to take out this enemy ship. He's going to fire all weapons and just completely disregard his own ships out there. And, and they um, get into quite a bad battle really where heavy losses all around. Indeed. And it's actually what's quite interesting about this is the uh, the Disparex, you know, they what you get a hint of is that they're actually they're they're pretty good. You yeah. know, from a from a naval warfare perspective, they they know what they're doing and uh, that actually um, the Iron Hands uh, potentially gone in there a little bit too confident, uh, maybe maybe even arrogant. Yeah. And uh Bowhan, that's the is that Captain Bowhan. Yeah, Captain Bowhan. Yep. Bowhan. Yeah, has has probably been a bit too overconfident and a bit eager and a bit um, gung ho in his approach. And actually, you know, for once, the Astartes, uh, certainly from a naval warfare perspective, are uh, you know they're uh, they're, they're struggling. They're, you know, this is they're taking a lot more damage than they probably should have done. Yeah, I suppose um, you don't survive floating around the galaxy for however many hundreds of years without learning a thing or two about defending yourself. Because mm. these can't be the first enemy they've stumbled across by, by accident. No, um, they, they definitely appear to, you know, be like na- navally, you know, they, they appear, yeah, they, they appear to be yeah particularly set for this. Yeah. Uh, and like to your point of uh, them being ready, we, Flip over to um, Ferris Manis on the Fist of Iron, mm-hmm. and Captain Santer, uh, first Captain Santer, is giving Ferris Manis some particularly bad news and telling him that um, Bauhan lost that battle, um, the Disparax ships got away, and they suffered he- heavy damages. And Bauhan's aboard um, the Fist of Iron, ready to apologize. Uh, and Ferris Manis is going into a rage. Um, and at one point, he even considers uh, beheading him as a punishment. Um, but Santer manages to uh, talk him down. He also talks about taking his arms as well. <laughs> taking his arms off him, yeah. <laughs> um, but instead of that, they decide that as punishment, he's going to have to become co-captain with um, one of the Iron Fathers, mm. um, who I believe are the like the Eldar, or El, not Eldar, elders of... Uh, the uh, company or the legion. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you know too much about Iron Fathers. Uh, no, I, it's it's the only time you know I've, I've heard it mentioned. I, I 
I, I don't well you don't hear it for the rest of the book really it's more no. of a, I think it's kind of like a uh, cere- ceremonial sort of title I can only imagine they're a bit like um, uh, the half herd uh, from the lunar walls um, yeah and maybe they're slightly older marines or they're you know they're not they're not going to go into dreadnoughts as it were but they're uh, you know Hmm. I think the way that it's described in the book, they're in some sort of iron sort of um, sarcophagus. It's like a step down from Dreadnought. Like they're not completely all the way to being, I think a Dreadnought is essentially a corpse that's still going. Um, I think they're like the next step. So there's still a little bit more in there, but they're, slowly making their way to that stage i think that's how he's described as being like almost completely encompassed um but oh, not here quite we go. I've, I've, I've i've literally just at the power of the internet i can tell you right now that now oh, go for it is a specialist officer unique to the iron hand space marine chapter they are a hybrid of the chaplain and tech marine found in other uh codex astartes compliant chapters hmm so they served on the uh, the chapter's ruling Iron Council or Great Clan, and there have been approximately forty-one Iron Fathers um, that currently serve. But there you go. So that, that's where they came yeah. from. There we go. Well, he's only he's only a small character, so we won't yeah. go on too much of a tangent. But he's he's been assigned to uh, shadow Balhan and make sure he doesn't uh, mess up again. Yeah. Um, but this engagement with the Disfrax goes on for quite a while um, because the book then jumps on two months yeah. and we join Fulgrim on his um, um, war council, the Anvilarium, um, and he's obviously getting quite angry that they still haven't managed to um, squash this enemy. Uh, but he tells, it gives a bit of an update and sort of, helps us figure out where we are in the scheme of the heresy. Um, and he tells his men that the Imperial Fists have been recalled to terror. Um, they're not too sure why. They don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but the yeah. Imperial Fists have been summoned to go back. Um, the Space Wolves at this point are still pushing out conquering worlds um, on their own missions. They, so they haven't quite been sent to um, deal with uh, Magnus yet. Um and they also find out the Empress' children are on their way uh, from their pr- last conquest to join them and help them take out the Disbrax. Um, and this is where we get our um, history lesson of why Fulgrim and Ferris Manis are so close and why um, the Empress' children coming to help out is actually welcome news. Yeah. Um, yeah, so they met a long, long time ago when... Um, they, the uh, legions were probably quite fresh um, and they were in a master forge. I'm not too sure if the, the planet's named that they were on. It was on. in the Urals, wasn't it? Wasn't it um, on Terra? On Terra, okay. That's the Ur- Ural Mountains in Terra, I believe. You're probably right. Um, and... I, might, I mean, I might, I might be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> we'll go with it. We'll go with it. Um, and Fulgrim come into the forge where Ferris Manus was working and announced he was going to make the finest of all weapons um, which Ferris Manus laughed at him and then they then challenged each other to see who could make the best weapon yeah. uh, and they toiled in the forge for three months um, 
in competition until Fulgrim produced a powerful warhammer that's described it could level a mountain uh, and Ferris Manis produced a golden sword that burned with the fire of the forge and they were so impressed with each other and so uh, in respect that they actually traded weapons as gifts and yeah. that bonded them as brothers um, and ever since then they've been apart from uh, I suppose Fulgrim and Horus they've been the closest two brothers um, out of the 2018 Primarchs. Yeah, they de- they declared each other uh, both winners. Like they declared mm. each other's winners, as it were, and then swapped the weapons. So uh, Forge Breaker um, and uh, fi- Fireblade. It is Fireblade. Fire yeah, v- very imaginative. Yes. Well, I, th- I think Forge Forge Breaker is better. I think Fireblade. Yeah. I keep getting confused with this Thunderhawk, which is called Firebird. And it's like, is it Fireblade or was it Firebird? No, it's definitely Firebird. Yeah, Fulgrim's definitely got a theme, hasn't he? It seems that way, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What would you rather have, though? A flaming sword or a massive warhammer? I like Forgebreaker. I like yeah. the sound of Forgebreaker. Um, it, doesn't, it, it doesn't sit with me, uh, based on the characterizations of the Primarchs, that Fulgrim would go and forge a warhammer. Uh, no. I, I think it, it is the right weapon for uh, Ferris Manus, but I, I, I don't know. As I think based on the characterization of both of them, I think they would have forged the weapons the other way around, but I suppose yeah. for narrative purposes, you know, Fulgrim needs a sword and Ferris Manus needs a massive warhammer, so, you know, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, it would have been a bit weird, wouldn't it, for it to be the other way around? Yeah. But, yeah, I, I agree. I'd rather have a, a, a warhammer than than the sword i mean don't get me wrong i suppose i i'd uh you know if it was me as you know under my current stature i'd probably take the sword because i'd never be able to lift the warhammer <laughs> <laughs> but, i suppose as well they're less likely to get into one-on-one uh one-on-one combat with anybody where a sword would be preferable yeah yeah whereas you know if i was as big and strong as a uh, primark yeah I'd, t- I'd take the warhammer Exactly. You'd just be swinging it around like oh, nobody's yeah. business. That's exactly yeah. <laughs> Um Cool. So we've got that bit of history lesson. Um, and then we go into the next chapter and we're back on board uh, with the Empress children, the pride of the Emperor. And um, Ostian is trying to get on with his work. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got the big, um, I guess, marble slab that he's trying to decide what he's going to do with. Um, but he's pretty distracted by um the singer beckwer coming on to him earlier on um and then we find out he's not only distracted by that but the remembrances were all given the opportunity to go down to the lair planet um especially atoll um that the um the temple was on and ostian and serena were invited to go down um being two of the celebrities i guess on board um of their stature and they obviously are walking off towards um the loading docks to go down and they're talking mm-hmm. about uh, serena telling ostian i'm going to finally we're going to get you to see the sea um and they're, they're just talking and apparently we find that um anywhere between depending on whose rumor you want to listen to 
Um, the fighting was so fierce, anywhere between 300 and 700 Astartes were killed um, during that month of fighting that Fulgrim declared, um, we're going to conquer this race. Yeah. And even we, if we go back to Julius thinking that a month was going to be costly, um, and this sort of just proves quite how bad it was. Um, Absolutely. It's a chunky yeah. number of uh, space marines to to be killed. Because you, you sometimes forget, even with these, um, all of the tales during the heresy and the size of it, that even in Spigas battles, we're, you know, we're, we're not talking, you know, like, to put it into historical context, like the battles of World War One and World War Two were bigger in terms of the number of people involved than, than yeah. a lot of these battles. Um, you know, one Astarte is, is the equivalent of a lot of current soldiers, I suppose you'd put it. Um, well, considering as well, they always say, like, whenever you hear anything, they always say, like, a squad of Astarte should be capable of landing a planet and taking it over. Yeah. So there's quite a big number. Yeah, um, and then, like, modern 40k, a, a chapter is, what, a thousand Marines? Yeah. So to lose 70% of a chapter in a month of fighting you know that's pretty catastrophic yeah that's hard and obviously like as we learned before that the emperor's children this is their first time out on their own so they're not probably the uh, most numbered legion either no definitely not it's a it's a big you know it's a big loss it is a big mistake and there is a feeling that there's kind of like a um, not a cover-up but certainly maybe the remembrances are being shielded from 100% of the truth. Yeah, uh, which is obviously common theme across uh, board. And obviously, the Empress' children were after perfection. Mm. So not, that doesn't necessarily mean the truth. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> uh, so Ostia and Estrina are getting ready to board. And as they're getting allocate their ships, Ostia finds out that his name's been removed uh, from the boarding party. Um, and as he's trying to figure it out, we see Bequa boarding her ship and gives him the dirty look. Um, and obviously we find out that because she's such a celebrity and her, her standing in the Legion, um, that she's had him removed. Um, and then Serena offers to stay with him, but he's um, the good guy after all. Yeah. And he tells her to go down to the planet and enjoy it. And they'll see the beat. They'll see the sea together on another planet. Um, and he goes back to his sculpting. Um, also on board, we join Solomon, who's in the um, med bay recovering from his injuries. Um, and he was very lucky to have survived. Um, we find out he's got broken ribs, mm-hmm. his, both his arms, his legs, he fractured his skull. And he was just about to run out of oxygen when he was rescued from um, below the water. Yep. Um, and funny enough, his number two, Gaius, got out unscathed. Um, very lucky for him. And um, while uh, Solomon's recovering, Gaius has been put in charge of his um, company. Yeah. Um, Julius visits him in hospital um, and sort of says, when we were in the temple, it didn't feel right. Something felt strange, but I can't quite put my finger on it. Mm. Um, and, and Solomon says, well, what did Marius say? And he tells him, well, Marius never made it to the temple. They uh, got waylaid. Um, and since they've got back, Marius has been uh, punishing himself because um, he feels like he failed um, 
Fulgrim by not managing to stick to the plan. Um, he didn't achieve the perfection that he was after. Um, and now he's punishing himself and punishing his men. And he's putting them through excessive training now to get them to absolute peak condition. Uh, and Julius also tells him that um, they're on their way to rendezvous with the um, Iron Hands and Ferris Manus. Yeah. Doesn't he, isn't this the point where he also tells them that he takes or has taken remembrances back to the atoll and not for them, but for him? I think Julius tells... Or does that come the, later? That comes later because he talks to the librarian, not... Oh, that's um, it. No, no, you're yeah. right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Not the Astartes librarian, the little human librarian. An actual, an actual librarian. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Someone who dishes out books rather than smashes them with... Um, Psychic powers. Weapons. That's it, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that that will come later. Um, but yeah, and that is sort of Julius knows that something was weird, mm. but at the minute we're not thinking too much of it. Um, and then a bit later, um, they're on the uh, assembly deck, and Ferris Manis and the Iron Hands arrive, um, and. He's introduced, as they always do when they meet, they introduce themselves to a few of the captains and introduce captain to captain. And he yep. introduces um, his captain, Santer, to Julius. And they have a little bit of a back and forth um, and everything's hunky-dory and they're all happy to see each other. Pretty much, yeah. The usual sort of Marines uh, kicking in. I think, isn't it, Caseron, like, potentially reads into certain things as uh, insults as in like I'm sure you'll learn lots from him and then, this is the uh, first that first thing that normally no one would say anything but um, they're talking and Ferris Manis says oh I'm sure you can learn from him and yeah. as he's walking off Julius just gives him that childish dirty look of oh, maybe <laughs> I'll teach you something yeah um, but yeah it's like the most littlest uh, nuance there that it just the start of every every uh, sentence now that's ushered to an emperor's child who was on that uh, temple in the temple, it's yeah. Long way. It's like having an art. It's like talking to someone over text, and they get the ump with you because they they read it in their head. Yeah, um, that's how it's going with the emperor's children, where they're just getting the ass with things that there's no need for it. Um, so. As um, the Primarchs love to do, they convene a war council on board um, with the um, hierarchy of the Empress' children and the Iron Hands. Um, and Fulgrim tells Ferris Manis the reason that he can't catch the Disparax is because he's been chasing them rather yeah. than trying to form any plan. And they've been so bogged down in catching up with them. Uh, that's where they're going wrong. And he sort of asks um fulgrim asks julius why do you think uh the disparax are still here um why haven't they just fled why are we still in the same system um and julius says there must be a reason i, I feel like they're trapped but it's mentioned julius can't figure out why he goes i know they're they're stuck here for a reason but i don't know mm. um and centaur suggests well they must have a fuel source here. That's why they're stuck in this area. Um, their fuel source is here. They just can't leave the area. And then, like you said, Julius doesn't like the fact that he's been trumped by his um, counterpart 
um, and internally feels extreme loathing and jealousy um, that, that somebody else dared to answer the Primark instead and took a, the opportunity away from him. Uh, and he just bubbles with that for a little while. Um, and then after the council, Fulgrim and Ferris Manis retire to Fulgrim's chamber. Yeah. Um, and Fulgrim is playing with the Lear, the Lair sword um, and just look, noticing how perfect it is and knows that it, it, it could cut through a start his armour and also feels like the blade was specifically made for his hand. Mm. Um, and he, he looks at the, uh, the, the pommel and he's probably for the first time notices the purple jewel in it. Um, and he doesn't like it and thinks about changing it. And as he thinks that, he hears a little voice and then all of a sudden the thought disappears from his mind. Uh, so that's the sword is uh, looking after itself there. Yeah. Yeah. It becomes that voice becomes uh, more important as the, as the book goes on. Yeah. And uh, so him and Ferris Manis are just shooting, shooting the breeze. Um, and they're just talking about everything about this battle. And, the voice in the back of Fulgrim's mind that he doesn't really take too much notice of, but as they're talking, it encourages him to say things that he knows are going to annoy Ferris Manis. Yeah. He doesn't know why, but it doesn't matter what he says. He just comes back with like a a very annoying sort of uh, counter reaction to whatever Ferris Manis says. It's almost like childish, like as I said, little, little jabs, unnecessary. Yeah. Just trying to goad him into an argument because he enjoys the the tension. He's enjoying any conflict that he can get. Mm. Um, um, here, actually, Ferris Manis notices some of the art, and this ties ties the universe together that little bit more. And uh, he noticed some of the art, and Fer- Fulgrim tells him that it was made by uh, these photos were taken by a remembrancer called Euphrates Keeler. Yep. Um, you may or may not remember that name if you're paying attention to the last episodes. Um, and Fulgrim says she'll be famous one day. Mark my words. And he's definitely not wrong there. Um, and then Ferris Manis notices some artwork that he doesn't like. Um, and Fulgrim tells him that they were the paintings that he's done. And that really digs into Fulgrim. He really doesn't like that. Fulgrim um, hates it. Don't criticise yeah. his art, whatever you do. <laughs> and, and Ferris Manis obviously doesn't even know it. Um, he's not doing it to be rude or spiteful. He just doesn't like it as much as the other stuff. And uh, unfortunately, he's hurt his brother's feelings there. Um, and uh, they get on to talking about Horace uh, and how he's been appointed Warmaster. Uh, and Ferris Manor says he doesn't mind it. And Fulgrim's trying to goad him into saying something um, like, no, you wanted it really. You'd rather it be somebody else. You don't like him. Um, <laughs> but we find Ferris Manis is... He's loyal. He's he's very um, he's accepted the news. He didn't he wasn't upset. He knows that Horus deserves it uh, and he's quite happy to accept the emperor has decreed. Yeah, he doesn't strike you as a Primarch like some of the other Primarchs like the Lion or uh, Dawn or uh, some of those Primarchs that you look at and you go, OK, they, they probably could have had a, you know, a fair shout at Warmaster alongside Horus. But yeah. Ferris, Ferris doesn't strike you as, or doesn't strike me as that type of Primarch. He's much more of a, you know, he doesn't mind being in the thick of it and, you know, being a soldier, as it were. He's yeah. not the same as, uh, you know, these these strategic leaders like um, 
as I said, like Dawn, like the yeah. line. Like he's, de- he's definitely like a, a second tier Primark, isn't he? Yeah, um, right. And you look at um, the way that he's handling the Disbracks, they've been there for months, just chasing around in circles around a couple of planets and moons. Um, so he's obviously not the um, strategic genius. So No, he has a big speech at one point, doesn't he, about why the Emperor's children are coming to help. And he said it's not weakness to, to ask for help. The weakness no. is, is not asking for help, um, yeah, and and not realizing when you need it, and like he, yeah. he kind of admits that he he can he can be very headstrong, and kind yeah. of and that's that that does pay off a bit further on in the book as well, because yeah. he's because he's very headstrong. He like you know he he has spent his time chasing his tail, um, or chasing the disbreaks uh, instead of you know taking this moment to think about it. Yeah. Um. Um. Ferris Man, uh, sorry, Fulgrim uh, keeps trying to like goad him into an argument, but every time he tries to start something, Ferris Manis seems to uh, either agree with him or just not take the bait. Um, which Fulgrim notes that he's just not willing to argue or willing to um, go against Fulgrim because yeah. obviously Ferris Manis respects Fulgrim that much that he isn't going to read too much into anything, he's just going to go along with it. Um, and then we then find out that um, good old Fabius Bile has been transferred off of Fulgrim ship to another ship um, under Eidolon's command mm-hmm. um, to continue his work um, in secret. And he's with Eidolon, who tells him, when I come back from this peacekeeper mission, I want to be the first to start is to be approved upon um, and it better work. And... Uh, Fabius is remembering that conversation while he's working on his lab uh, yeah. with um, the corpse of a Astartes warrior um, who wasn't quite dead when he got to Fabius. Um, was was going to die. Wasn't quite dead, but was probably, well, it, it's made out of the book that he's, he's, you know, as good as dead. Yeah. And not wanting to waste an opportunity to learn, he um, uses some time to experiment on the Astartes brain um, and he figures out a way to intertwine the pain and pleasure cortex um, and test this out on the on the um, the dying soldier yeah who apparently dies you know in in pleasure but dies nonetheless yeah and I'd like to think that maybe with their uh, um, healing ability and the sort of surgical Marvel that um, started seem to have. Maybe he didn't need to die. There, there may have been a way around it, but anyway, Fabius, uh, it, it's all for the progression, isn't it? It's the the seeking of perfection, right? That's it. Um, so what's one what's one soldier when you can yeah. improve others? He'll harvest the gene uh, seed and he'll, he'll go and uh, you know he'll take that gene seed and put it into someone else and then mess yeah. it up with them. It's fine. And. Um, it's even like described. He doesn't even feel like he's doing anything wrong. He knows what he's doing, and he knows that uh, he knows what he's doing is for the greater good. Um, and he knows that there's people within the legion that won't like it, but he's been given permission, and he's going to get on with it. Yeah. Um, and said it. We'll come into it later. But again, Fabius, um, you know, he's he's a very good character, and it's yeah. like the the thing that I like about it is that whereas you know, if if you know 
the Chaos Gods. We, we talked about it in the last um, section of the book. You know the Chaos Gods. You kind of got a sense about where this is going. There's a lot of talk of sensation, a lot of talk of uh, pleasure. Um, you know, there's the talking blade, a lot of this uh, being jealous and swinging from high to low moods and artists. You, if you don't know, you know, you, 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 you don't know that much about the gods, but it will be revealed as to which direction we're going. Um, yeah. But one of the things with it is that Fabius is not, at least, you know, doesn't seem to be under any sort of influence. No, because he, he wasn't on the temple, was he? No, he's just, he's just a bad dude. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, he's not, he's not under any kind of influence of uh, any of these you know, potential chaos gods or chaos corruption or anything like that. He's just, this is just him. Is it, do you think though, is he bad or is he just in the right place? Like if he was with the emperor and the emperor had said, crack on. Oh, he, I, I mean, he, he may have remained loyal. He may He's have all done, about himself, isn't he? I don't, I think he is, he is, he is, well, this is the thing. He is loyal, but loyal to the only person that he cares about. And that's, that's him. Yeah. I think even if he'd been, under the emperor's command, it would have come a point where he would have done something that would have gone yeah. against uh, the wishes of the emperor, just because he's he's not interested in anyone else's opinion. He's doing it for him. He he just likes science and doing what he, he wants to just keep making stuff, doesn't he? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so he's in his lab working on two key projects. He's working on something called the Osmodular, which is uh, basically, the gene which could strengthen an Astartes skeleton. Mm-hmm. Um, he's also working on um, um, a extracted layer vocal cord, um, and he's working out how to replicate the sonic shriek um, that the layer used quite efficiently against the Astartes. Um, yep. And he's also refined a vaccine, um, which is sat ready waiting to go and ready for mass um um production um which will increase the metabolism and the strength of an astartes warrior um and fulgrim has already authorized that he can um spread this out throughout the legion um so yeah i mean he's been given free reign and this is quite early on like fulgrim's only just got this sword so for things to come, and he's already given permission for this experimental drug to go out. Yeah. Um, it's quite a jump, I think. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's, um, you know, full, uh, I said Fabius has already kind of done the number on him in terms of convincing him to let him do the work anyway. So I suppose it's yeah. not that far of a jump in terms of, you know, if, if Fulgrim's already said to him, you can get into it in terms of, doing your investigations it's more like fulgrim is more is interested in the end result but doesn't really want to know or care how fabius gets there no Um, i guess not and and i think you know it's kind of like oh great you've got this new combat drug amazing um Mm. it's going to make us better and more perfect excellent um quick whisper from the sword yeah okay we're all on board let's keep going yeah Um, and then, obviously, the, the perfect storm of it is you've got uh, Marius, who is, like, desperate to regain his honour in the eyes of the Primarch, who yeah. 
as one of the captains, will be first up to, you know, volunteer himself and his company uh, yeah. to try out any of this stuff. So it's like, yeah, combat drugs, fine. Let's get into it. And off they go. I mean, Marius is the definition of telling him to jump and him asking how high. Yeah. At this point. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So Fabius, he's doing the uh, the Primarch's good work behind the scenes. Um, meanwhile, Serena has returned um, from the surface and she's trying and she was so encaptured by the the beauty of the place that she's come back to her studio and trying to replicate it on the canvas um, and she's just having no luck at the minute she's mm. remembering um, being taken to the temple by Julius um, and she's trying to get the right tones because the colors as was described before were so um, vibrant and the noise was so different that even the Astartes couldn't struggle. And even though they destroyed most of it, by the time the remembrances got there, the the the, the colours and the sound were still there. The pink mist was still around, mm-hmm. um, which obviously infect, or got into everybody's system. Um, and she just can't get the right shade of red on her canvas to, to replicate. Um, and as we discussed in the last episode, she has the little tick of... Um, self-loathing when she can't quite do what she wants to do she self-harms yeah uh, and at this point she digs her the end of her paintbrush into her arm and cuts herself open um and her blood pulls down into the paint and actually gives her the perfect color of red so she's up and running um and ready to go um solomon on the other hand he's fed up he's released himself from the med bay uh he's not full fighting strength yet but he's training with Marius yeah. um, and Marius is basically handing him his ass to him in the training center. Um, and Marius tells him he's been working his company harder than ever um, because they are not going to fail uh, full grim ever again. Nope. Um, they're going to be bigger, better, faster, stronger. And, and like you said, he tells Solomon here, as soon as that drug's available, his company will be first in line. Um Solomon questions it and says, well, do you feel like you need it? Because you're one of the best warriors. Like you're, you're good enough. You don't need it. Um, but Mar- uh, Marius is saying, no, I'm not. If, if Fulgrim tells me to jump, I will yeah. jump as high as he asks me to. Yeah. Cause there's a bit of questioning, isn't there about where's it come from? Like, you know, he's, he's like Marius is, uh, I don't care if it's coming from Fulgrim. That's good enough for me. And, yep. um, Solomon's a bit more, you know, like, well, you know, it's not come from terror. Where's, mm. where's this come from? Um, and Marius uses a very similar argument to Fabius. Well, the emperor made us and we've yeah. made this, so it must be okay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that, well, it's, it's, it's kind of uh, that, you know, it's the self-justification, isn't it? You find a way to justify your argument to make it, to make it okay. Um, even though it's it still doesn't answer the original question, um, nah. but yeah, it, you can see that this there's been definitely a sort of with the remembrance side of it and what's happening with the uh, the Astartes that are um, you know still around uh, the the, the side of things. There's there's that um, slip. It's starting to slip 
Like we've yeah. seen it in the other books as well. There's a moment, there's a pivotal moment where things start to go downhill, and this is like the uh, the very start of that 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 period. Yeah, definitely. Um, and not everybody is even in the same position, but it's it's all these little twists of fate that have happened yeah. so far that are just driving people into the the direction they're ultimately going to go, uh, whether for better or worse. Um, so yeah, after this, we move on to chapter nine and we're back on board the Ferrum with, uh, Captain Balhan. He's still got his head and he's still got his arms. Yep. Um, and he's also gained an iron father. Um, and they're stood together on the, on the command deck and they're hunting the Disparax. Uh, and they discover one of their fuel ships, which is, um, collecting solar energy from yeah. one of the suns uh, and they're watching it from a distance and they send word back to uh, Ferris Manis because they've learned their lesson. They're not going to run in and attack this time. They'll wait for the rest of the fleet. Um, so that's where they are. Um, Julius, meanwhile, visits the head iterator of the Empress children. Um, the man responsible for training and then eventually um, being succeeded by Kill Sinderman. Yep. Um, after develop, I think he developed like throat cancer or something. Uh, that's it. Cause the emperor even uh, helps him out. Doesn't he? Yeah. The emperor himself healed him because he was the emperor's top iterator, wasn't he? Yeah. Uh, the best. So he got the special uh, healing touch to keep him going. Um, and that man's name is Evander Tobias. Um, and Similar to Lokin and Kirill, Julius and Evander are quite friendly. They're on good terms. Um, and Julius tells him, confides in him, that since returning from the temple, um, he doesn't feel right. He's not finding the same sort of joy in mm. the usual art or poetry that he's used to. Um, he can't turn to his favourite book and find the same pleasure he used to find in it. Um, and doesn't know what to do. And Tobias actually tells him that he's not the first one to come no. to him with this issue. No, and he... Oh. he I was going to say no. <laughs> I thought he was going to say something. No, you're right. No, that, that yeah, he's not the first one to come to him with that issue. And um, he introduces him or, or sends him in the way of uh, the, the writings and, and books of... Um, uh, it's a it's a priest, but it's someone I can't remember the name the name of the guy. But um, he he was he was a priest, but he was also a whole lot of other things. Um, yeah, and he the the writings of this guy um, are kind of all about the like living for every sensation and every uh, part of pleasure that you could possibly experience, um, and. Obviously, the iterator is like, go and start reading some of this stuff because uh, you might you might find it interesting and might help you understand where you're going. It's interesting because, like, the iterator, it's not very clear whether he's also potentially corrupted or been, you know, sort of. Uh... I don't know. It's very strange because he gives him this book and they talk about. Um, is one of the first times as well here that it's mentioned, they talk about him being considered to have heretical ideals. Yeah. Um, and Julius sort of turns and says, that's a, a silly word. That's a superstition. Um, and Evander sort of encourages him to read it. Yeah. But 
it's not mentioned that he went to the planet, but I, I think it, it's more of a, at this point, he's saying, well, here's something to consider. It, you could maybe look elsewhere for, for joy. I don't think he's necessarily telling him. Uh, yeah. Like heresy. Much- I, have you, have you heard the good word of heresy? <laughs> I, I don't think he's quite, I think he's just trying to um, expand yeah. his, expand yeah. his mind. Give him something else to read, but it definitely, yeah. it, it, yeah. Like, as I said, it's uh, the, the books that he's, or at least the book he introduces him to the, you know, the first entry for this, uh, this, priest that had obviously you find out a lot more about as the book goes on but obviously it does it does scratch that itch to begin with for julius yeah um, definitely again sorry sorry i was gonna say the the priest's name is blake there you go that's it yeah uh cornelius blake is the name of the priest Uh, uh, yeah it's kind of like the again it's the opening it's the top of the hill uh where it's Julius's sort of um, exploration of the idea of living for sensation and, and mm. the heights, the highest highs of that sensation. Yeah, and it mirrors um, Lokin and Kirill, where Lokin can't get over the, the, what he saw at the Whisperheads, and Kirill gives him some books on ancient mythology to help mm. him understand it. Um, and I suppose, in a way, um, Evander's doing a very similar thing to say, look, there, there is other, like this isn't how it's always been. Have a look at some history. Yeah. Um, this guy was essentially a heretic, but you might learn something from him. Yeah. Um, uh, and while they were having a talk, um, Julius gets a Vox call saying that um, he needs to return to his posting as the Dispraxx have been located um, and they need to make way. Um, and we join Fulgrim, who's pacing up and down in his chamber, uh, and he's pretty pissed off because Ferris Manis and the Iron Hands have engaged Disparax yep. without waiting for them to get there. Um, so although Balhan learned his lesson and called the Iron Hands to join him, Ferris Manis hasn't heeded the lesson, uh, and he's gone head on in uh, and started a space battle. Yeah, um, he's super keen. He wants to get involved. Like yeah. he's, wait- he's waited this long to find them. Now this uh, this little bit of planning, this strategy has paid off. He's he's getting straight into it. Yeah, um, and Fulgrim. No, obviously they're on their way to help. But while he's um, he's got nothing else to do other than wait for to arrive. He's pacing up and down, and and the voice in his head is telling him, "What an idiot Ferris Manus is. Why are you putting up with him?" Yeah, um, and just and just twisting twisting his mind. Um, and this is the first time that Fulgrim's actually consciously aware of this voice. Um, and he, he initially thought someone had put a curse on him or um, he was being tricked with um, some psychoactivity. Um, but now he feels like he doesn't, he doesn't know where, but something's awoken in his subconsciousness and is giving him advice. And he seems to just be accepting this for what it is. He's not really fighting against it. Mm. Although I don't think he's got much of a choice, I think it's just there now. Um, but because he's obviously in such a bad mood, he's looked at his art and he's remembering how annoyed he is with Ferris Manis, and he destroys the art that he's tried, and he's angry that he can't um, produce anything perfect. Yeah. Um, 
um, and he's listening now. He's to, to inspire him. They've um, recorded the music from the Lair Temple, or they've recreated it, and he's got that pumping around his chamber. This um, isn't the bit where he's. I might be wrong. Is this the one where because he he was trying to carve the three captains, wasn't he? Um, that gets mentioned in a bit. He's they're not there yet. They haven't got to that. this point yet because at no. the moment he's he's angry. Yeah, he's, he's he smashed up. He, he smashed up the artwork. Yeah, um, and I believe that the statues come next. That's right. his. I can't paint. Maybe I can sculpt. I'll go to sculpting. Um, yeah, that's it. Yeah, and we'll get to that in a bit. Um, he uh, has commissioned the remembrances um, to create the art, and he's only given commissions out now to anybody who actually went to the Lair Temple. Yeah. So all the um, remembrances who were very lucky to go on this field trip are all now making the money um, and getting Fulgrim's blessing to decorate uh, and produce art. Um, but Fulgrim's so preoccupied with his own sort of um, madness that he hasn't even gone to the bridge to uh, give any orders. He's yep. just um, sulking in his chamber. Um, and we start seeing now that everybody who's been down to the temple has been affected by something. Um, they're all highly strung. That Any slight directed their way is felt a hundred times harder. Um, and anybody who didn't go is just carry on as normal. Um, yeah. For example, Julius, he's on the bridge, um, wait, wondering why Fulgrim isn't there. Um, but he isn't angry that Fulgrim isn't there. He's angry that everyone else is carrying on yeah, as normal, and no one seems to care that Fulgrim isn't there. Yeah. Um, and he's getting so annoyed. Um, he... Uh, He's given the orders. He's ordered the, the captain of the ship to catch up to the Iron Hands fleet. Um, and uh, Solomon is on board next to him. Marius is, on, is on, on the deck and he's staring at them, staring daggers at them because they're just carrying on with their work as they would. Um, <laughs> and wondering why they don't seem to care that Fulgrim hasn't, isn't there to, to sort of guide their hand. Um, and Marius sort of breaks... Uh, his focus and they start talking about the upcoming battle and that changes Julius from feeling anger to sheer joy because he can't wait for the bloodshed um, yeah. and that really gets his blood pumping because now all he can think about is killing um, so it just sort of shows that not only are their emotions sky high but they'll change from one thing to the other depending on depending on what you say to them, uh, they'll focus all their energy on, on that one emotion. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so we hit chapter 10 now. We're back with the Iron Hands, um, and they have arrived at um, the Corallis Star, which is obviously a sun, um, and they've engaged the Disparax, and now there are, over, there are thousands of ships battling. Um, the Iron Hands have managed to sort of corral disparacks their backs are against the sun they can't really escape um uh, and the iron hands are, are doing pretty well they're they're destroying disparacks um quite well but the disparacks like we mentioned before they're not new to space warfare um they're given as good as they get um and we get some pretty cool um alien tech 
where one of the uh, flagships of the Disprax manages to take control um, remotely of an Iron Hand ship, which yeah. turns around and fire and, and engages in one of its own ships. Um, and that, that basically causes some destruction. And uh, with that, the Disparax have managed to um, create a gap and start sending out some ships. Some ships managed to escape. Um, but as the bulk start heading towards this big gap in the battle, the uh, Emperor's children arrive uh, and, and plug the hole. Um, and this is where Fulgrim finally arrives on the bridge. Yep. in his full battle gear, which actually surprises everyone, including Julius. Um, and he says, rather than ship-to-ship combat, we're all going to board up, we're going to get in the um, torpedo, and we're going to take the fight to the to the Disparax. Um, and he Solomon notices that he's not carrying... Um, oh, what do we call it? Fireblade. <laughs> he's not calling it... I was going to say Firebird. <laughs> yeah, no, no, um, no, he, he's not on, no, he's not carrying Fireblade. He's uh, yeah. carrying the the lair the lair sword the lair blade, yeah. Which has um, maybe had a bit of sway in uh, his decision making here, yeah. Uh, and now we um, join the Empress children. They they get, they breach the um, flagship of the Disparax, um with their torpedoes. Um, Solomon goes in first, um, and his um squad start clearing out human and xenos alike um and they they land they clear out this first welcoming party uh, and he and gaius get a chance to sort of examine um the disparax and they have quite a good conversation because solomon's asking like what do you think happened that they feel that they that, that these humans have been fighting alongside mm. um xenos um and uh, he says, maybe we should try and understand what's going on um, because maybe, and, uh, and a guy sort of says to him, well, what, what are you thinking? That's quite a, a, a naughty thing to say. Um, studying, studying Xenos. Um, Not allowed to be doing any of that. If, no. if, you, if you're cavorting with uh, Xenos, then that's, yeah, that's no good. Yeah. No, um, but... Um, Solomon manages to sort of save himself and says, no, we, we need to study him because we need to figure out how we can stop humanity turning on the emperor again. doesn't matter how removed you are from terror. This isn't acceptable. Yeah. Um, and Gaius says, well, they, they probably never heard of the emperor. Um, and Solomon says, that's not an excuse. It should be obvious just by looking at each other that this isn't acceptable. Am I, um, am I right in thinking that before the uh, shipboarding action takes place that um, Ferris and the battle, uh, the, the battle barge Fist of Iron save Fulgrim uh, in the Firebird or does that come next? That is coming um, in about 30 seconds. <laughs> I was going to say, thing. oh no, so... because that's it, because Solomon and uh, guys have landed first, haven't they? Yeah. Um... So they're already on board the ship and uh, Fulgrim is, is is not he's not landed on the ship yet, has he? No, he's not there. So um, that's it. Yeah, we're, we're very, it's almost it's the second paragraph from where we are now. So um, while they're sort of waiting, um, he uh, it, it sort of goes back into like um, him and Gaius's friendship and their heart to heart. 
and he's um, saying he, feel, he feels pity for the, the dead humans that they've had to kill. Uh, he feels like it's a waste that they've come and killed potential allies just mm. because of uh, their ideals. Um, and Gaius asks, do you regret killing these people? And he says, well, no, I don't blame them. I don't blame these people, but I blame their leadership. Um, I blame the fact that anybody's allowed this to happen, but I don't feel uh, bad for killing them because they should have stood up to their leaders and told them this was wrong. Yep. Um, they should have stood up for what they believe in, believe in. It doesn't matter how much you respect your leaders. If they're doing something wrong, you need to voice your opinion, um, which is quite a... It's easier said than done, um, yeah. especially yeah. as we're going to find out going through the rest of these books. <laughs> um, we know some I mean, we've, we've already up. seen it. Already seen it in the previous books, right? It's uh, yeah, Loken and um, uh, Torgadon. Like they, they, yeah. they sort of said, you know, that we don't like what's going on in the chapter. We're going to fight against it. Um, yeah. But they can't really, you know, they don't really say anything to Horace. They just, you know, it's the rest of the chapter they're worried about. It's not as easy as just doing it. No, this it's true, and. They try to sa- they try to save the legion rather than stand up to the legion, mm-hmm. um, and then but then you look at um, Soltarvitz, who we've already seen in the other books. He definitely just went forget this. Uh, I don't like it. I'm off. Um, and we obviously we will explore that more as we go on here. Indeed, yes. Um, but then back to like you said, um, Solomon signals to Fulgrim and says, "Landing zone's clear. Get over here." Uh, and Fulgrim jumps on the fire bird um, and doesn't bring the fire blade. Um, <laughs> and they're nearly wiped out by the Disparax. Um, but Ferris Manus uses his own ship to block um, the path. And actually, he takes quite a lot of damage. Yep. Um, but saves um, Fulgrim. Um, and Fulgrim lands on the Disparax ship um, and... he's got Julius with him uh, and they burst in and they start wiping out this Frax um, and both of them enjoying killing and it it sort of says here like they enjoy killing and they enjoy it more than they normally would they actually find in pleasure in it Um, which is strange because the Astartes are built for one thing and that is killing Um, but they don't generally seem to come away from it feeling uh, any sort of pleasure they find pride in it because they're they're told this is your duty go on and do it and it's all out of duty and they find pride in um sort of pleasing their superiors and pleasing the emperor but here fulgrim and julius are actually just killing because they enjoy it now and that's probably partly why fulgrim has ordered this boarding rather than space battle He's after the sensation, right? He's chasing yeah. the sensation. Um, Definitely. And like Julius, when he was on board before, he was getting um, all hot around the collar because he, he wanted to kill. And I don't think that you're going to get the same um, sensation from firing torpedoes and you are putting a sword through someone's head. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, Fulgrim, uh, he radios Solomon and says, come and meet up with us, like, um, rejoin us. We're going to head towards the bridge. Um, and Solomon sort of 
knows where he is on board and realises actually he and Nungaya are a lot closer to the bridge um, and they'd be going out of their way to join up with Fulgrim. So um, to make up for missing out before when he got shot out the sky, he's going to um, bring some pride back to his company and they're going to take um, try and race to the bridge. Um, so we've got the two skirmishes going on. On one side of the ship, we've got um, Solomon. Uh, on the other side of the ship, Fulgrim and Julius, who are a bit further away, but making good progress. Um, probably a bit slower than they would normally because they're taking the extra joy in actually killing people. Yep. Um, so now we have... Um, the book really separates the characters of uh, Solomon and Julius and Fulgrim. Um, as we have um, Solomon and, um, uh, and, and Gaius, they, they get to this corridor just before the bridge and it's really well defended um, and looks um, completely Im- impassable. But uh, as we found out, Previously, Solomon's all about going up the centre. He loves the centre. That's what he's all about. <laughs> and, he, and he tells um, Gaius and the guys, right, you cover me, throw some grenades down and just and just uh, cover me. So they chuck these grenades and Solomon, the second these grenades have gone off, Solomon's running down this corridor, jumps the barricade and goes 50 to 1. And he... Um, annihilates these guys he's um fighting for honor and glory he he needs to be seen as a hero and a leader yeah um and he wants to do do well for the astartes name um he um he's fighting he he feels he can admire the worthy adversaries that he's fighting he knows that these aren't easy um and they're putting their lives on the line to defend what they believe he doesn't agree with it but he can respect a good warrior yeah um, on the other hand, we have Julius and Fulgrim. They're um, fighting their way through the defences. And normally they would probably, especially Julius, would have the same thought process as um, Solomon. But their minds are now deteriorating. Where normally they would fight for honour and duty, now they're actually fighting for the thrill. And killing is just, like, it's just tops. And even when he's getting wounded, like, it doesn't hurt. Even, when, even though it does hurt, it's he's enjoying the pain. He's reveling in the, the, the you know, he's, he's getting pleasure. He's getting pleasure from the experience of the pain. So it's not the yeah. pain that, that he's getting pleasure from. It's, it's the fact that it's another experience. It's another sensation. And that's yeah. what he's getting the pleasure from. Yeah. Um, and, and it's not just even the pain. Like um, Julius uh, is um, number two gets killed. He gets pulled down and, and, and killed. Um, and Julius feels like the enormous grief, but and even though he's just lost, like one of his closest friends, probably, um, he's actually quite excited by the the pain and the emotion. Mm. Um, so he, he's got a double bubble. He's devastated that he's lost someone, but he's enjoying it because now this is a new sensation that he hasn't felt in this mindset, um, and he feels like he's lost friends before. Uh, and the estate is always remorseful, but it's just the way it is that no one ever dwells on it. They put their name on the battle honours, yep. um, uh, and there, and that's it. But once this little skirmish is done, Julius actually allows himself to feel the grief of this of uh, this guy's death, um, which is very unusual. Um, even though he enjoys it, um, 
it's just not normal. Um, and then Solomon manages to um, get to the bridge and they breach the um, breach the doors. Um, and after a very quick firefight, the crew throw down their weapons and surrender. And Solomon finds a very strange looking creature who he believes to be the navigator who's had a chunk of his head blown off, yeah. but it's still alive. Um, and he goes over and just sort of inspects it and watches it die. And as it's dying, it, it te- telepathically says to him, all we wished was to be left alone. Yeah. Which, as we said before, they, that they, they've done nothing wrong except lived together on board a ship, traveled around. And then these, um, armored motherfuckers have turned up and ruined everything. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's it. Nailed it. Like it's, <laughs> it's interesting. He, he, like what was, what I found interesting about that particular scene itself was that um, like Solomon, you know, he didn't know what, like he, so this aliens at the top of his head shot off. Um, he knows it's, it's not dead, um, but it is dying. And even though, he knows he might not be able to understand it or he may not even be able to speak. He still bends down to hear its its valediction, to actually hear yeah. its last words because he's as I said, there's something about like, I don't know, the war the warrior's code that it's like you know, you're the enemy, but you fought well, so I will give you the respect of hearing your final words before you die. Yeah. And then that's that's when they're passed over and it's like it's quite as I said, it's quite interesting for um, us in the reader's position to to stop and think about the alternate view of, of, of the, the Great Crusade and what's actually going on. Yeah, because we, we're we spurring on, we're cheering on these Astartes, but yeah. we probably shouldn't be in a lot of cases. You stop and think about it and you go, well, yeah, you could have probably left those guys alone. You know, they, yeah. they're just chugging round their stars, filling up on some... Uh, solar energy and then just barreling along they're not doing anything <laughs> and it's like no no we're, we're this this dude with silvery hands is like no i'm not having any of that like we're gonna we're gonna blow them away and uh <laughs> you know he's, he's then met with his his long-haired like uh show dog brother who's yeah. like yeah all right we'll kill him as well yeah and, and um no one's gonna disagree with him no you know, they just wanted to be left alone, but yeah, that's well, that's not what happens in in uh, the 30,000th millennium. No, and the thing is, even if they'd found this race and they were just human, and they still decided, no, we just want to be left alone, they would have been killed for that. <laughs> yeah, no dice. That's that's not the way it goes. Um, you've got to join our glorious Imperium, which means mm. um, if you're on a planet, you give all your resources to us. And if you're not on a planet, that's also fine. You just have to follow us and die in the next battle. <laughs> yeah. Just avoid. If you see anything Imperial coming your way. Yeah, get uh, out. If, if you're not on board, just turn around. Uh, um, yeah. So Solomon's uh, watching this um, alien die. And he just hears Fulgrim from behind tell him to step away from that beast. Uh, and he turns around and Fulgrim and Julius stood there and they look absolutely furious. Yeah. Um, Solomon bows to Fulgrim and, and gives him the bridge. Um, but Fulgrim <laughs> turns around and storms off uh, in a bit of a huff. 
he, um, he wasn't there first. That's not, you know, his perfect plan was to, uh, you know, he's just been saved by his brother. He's not happy about that. Um, he's landed. He wants to get to the front and claim the glory and the honour of, uh, you know, putting the putting an end to the disbreaks by claiming the bridge. And yeah. then, you know, one of his captains, not even not even Julius, one of his other captains, has got there and uh, has gone up the centre and taken it out. Yeah, and normally, like, these are things you could understand, like the, oh, man, my brother had to save my arse so I could get to this battle. Oh, man, I wanted to be the first to the bridge. Generally, though, anybody in their right mind would be like, well, that sucks, but I can accept that. Like, it's a good Norm- result. Normally, like, if you take, if you put it into uh, a different chapter with a different type, they'd be giving, you know, he'd be saying, well done to Solomon. And be yeah. like, oh, you know, you know let's give him the... Uh, the honour and the adulation when we sit round and have the uh, victory feast later on. Yeah, you know, let's get and t- tell the story of how we uh, how we did how we did go up the centre. Let's let's hear yeah. it again, and uh, that's that's the way they do it. Um, that's not how. Sol- Solomon would have obviously knows his Primark, so he would have thought that exactly what you said. Like he would have gone up the centre, he would have done this, and he probably was expecting to get a, a well done. Yeah, bit um, of a pat on the back. Yeah, which probably a couple months ago, before um, the last battle against the Lair, that probably would have happened. Yeah, uh, but even even as Fulgrim's heading back to the Firebird, the voice in his head is telling him, "Julius is trying to um, take the glory, and Ferris Manus is trying to show off and show show you up that you can't do anything without him." And and Fulgrim tries to deny the voice. He does shout. Mm. He shouts out. In, in um, against the voice, but sort of accepts that actually maybe this is the truth. Maybe I am. Maybe the voice in my head is right. Um, and we saw a Lee Fulgrim stewing on that on those thoughts, and that brings us to the end of part two. And there we um, go. Right, as I said, part part one and two down. Monumental book. Um, so much is happening. So much. Happening. I, I think we say it every book. It's yeah, <laughs> like so much they pack into these books. It's uh, it's unbelievable, and with I think with Fulgrim, what's quite interesting is that at least the first I think four parts are quite separate. Yeah, uh, because and as I said, you, you've probably got much better notes uh, than, than than I have on this in this in this instance, John. But then part three is is very much about moving into the the bit where they go to the. I can't remember. It's the something begins with P, and is it anomaly or paradox? Uh, it is on my notes, but it's on a different, a different section of my notes. But okay. yeah, because this is where we're going to uh, meet some Eldar, isn't it? That's um, it, um, and some uninhabited planets. That uh, yeah, um, or what do they call them? What do the Eldar call them? They're um, so the Eldar have a specific name for them because they're the worlds that they're ready to maiden world. That's it. Yeah, so it's a maiden world. So they're, they're, they're like a whole system of maiden worlds that are untouched, um, mm. almost planned worlds ready for the uh, the elder to inhabit um, yeah. when they're when they're ready to return to, to power. Yeah. Um, but obviously, before they get there, like the the Iron Hands and the Emperor's Children go their their own separate ways, um, and. The Emperor's Children, this was originally their destination before they uh, went to help the Iron Hands, I believe. 
Yeah. Um, so they decided that they were going to go. Um, as I said, I can't remember the name of the system. Um, we'll, we'll, I have got it in my notes, and we'll, we'll get to it um, when we do part three. But I, I'll have to scroll quite a long way down to get to that bit. Um, but I know, yeah, we're 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 because um, this was a, a distraction for the Empress Children, really, wasn't it? Helping it out um, uh, the Iron Hands. Yes, um, absolutely. Yeah. But we've unpacked, like, I mean, like you said, the first two parts, and you said it in the first episode, these could be their own books, what we're doing here. This could be its own series. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, we've had the introduction to the Emperor's Children properly and the discovery of something unknown that changes the, the course of their future. And then here, now we're seeing it slowly take effect um, and corrupt um, the p- most perfect legion. That's it. Yeah, they're they yeah. they're yeah. They are looking. You know, their their pursuit is for perfection. Yeah. Um, and that pursuit for perfection is being warped, isn't it? It's 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 more like the pursuit of um, pleasure and sensation. Um, they're still saying it's the pursuit of perfection, yeah. But actually, it's it's slowly being taken over for those those sensations that that come from it. So yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's definitely as you said, first two, first so first two books, first two sections of the book, um, definitely moving in that direction. And now, now we're going to start tumbling downhill. Like yeah. we've, we've we've gone up, we're at the top we're just starting to come over now and, and it's it's all going to start going downhill all aboard the heresy express and absolutely yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so before we can't resist uh, and go on to the next part we're gonna end it here um that's the end of part two join us on the next episode where we get into part three visions of treachery um if you haven't already like share subscribe we're on Instagram, Iron and Sarah Mike, Google us. We're on everything. Come and say hello. Tell us what you think. Um, but until next time, that's goodbye. Bye-bye.